This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Existential listeners, my name is Jen, and I'm one of the team members here at Existential. I just wanted to pop in here briefly and let you know that while Corey is on sabbatical, we are highlighting some of our favorite episodes from Existential Sunday and bringing them here to you on Existential Podcast. Enjoy. Hello to any of you who are watching this broadcast later on. My name is Corey Leak, and I am a husband, a father, writer, singer, podcaster, speaker, and I host a uh, host this Existential Sundays every Sunday. So if you're new, if this is your first time and you're watching this later, thank you for watching. Uh, if you are watching this later on YouTube or on Facebook and you would like to share it, you can wait to the end of it to make sure that this is something that you want to share with your friends. Um, but if you you don't ever have to ask my permission to do so, you can share it. Those of you who have been a part of these lives before, you know already that I would love for you to share this um, with as many people as as you uh, as you can. Now, as you come into the broadcast, feel free to comment in the comment section. I'm not going to read the comments right now because I get distracted so easily. Um, so if you as you're coming in. Just comment, say hi, say where you're from. If I don't know you or if I do know you, just say hello, good morning. I'd love to see you here. Uh, we'd love to see it. Love to see you. Thank you so much for, for joining this broadcast. I, I won't be very long today. And I mean that like, you know, I mean that. It's not like a preacher saying I won't be long. I, I don't plan on being <laughs> very long today. Uh, there were a couple of things, a couple of conversations I've had over the last couple of weeks that uh, kind of stuck with me that were remarkable. And I wanted to talk about um, those things today. There, there are two separate conversations that I'm going to put together um, for the sake of this. So um, let me start by sharing with you something that I, I, I knew was a thing, but I, had, I didn't know how to name it. I, I didn't know what it was. I, I knew that this thing, that, that, that this was a, a part of our society and a part of the way that we handle issues and, and talk about things as people, but I didn't have wording for it. So I talked to my friend, Kevin, and my friend, Kevin introduced me to this idea called the Overton window. Now, many of you who are watching have heard of the Overton window. Um, and, and you, so you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I, I want to talk a little bit about the Overton window now and how the Overton window has shown up in a, uh, in another time in history, um, that we see through, scripture through through the Hebrew Bible. Um, the Basically, long and short of the Overton window is it's a political idea that there is a, um, a window of topics of things that are acceptable for a politician to talk about if they want to be reelected or to be elected. So there are issues that the public has a tolerance for you talking about that's not terribly polarizing it's it's not detrimental to any of your efforts to to stay in office or to get in office and 
that's basically what the Overton window is. But the, the interesting, th interesting thing about the Overton window is that it moves. It can move based upon the climate of the public, of, of people. So as an example, um, right now what we're seeing happening in America is that there is a lot of um, demonstration and a lot of talk about Black Lives Mattering. So whereas four to five years ago, if you went to a church, if you were part of organization, if you were a politician, to say Black Lives Matter was not in that Overton window and it was something that would be detrimental to your efforts of being elected, reelected, whatever, having people stay at your church, you having the ability to keep your job. And we've noticed over the last several weeks that that Overton window has moved. I've seen some white friends of mine come out and publicly say Black Lives Matter who would never have said it before. I have had people talking to me or asking me to talk to them about race who were telling me back in 2017 that I talked about race too much. I've had friends or seen friends share the um, all black, you know, Blackout Tuesday and say that I stand with my black and brown friends who unfriended me <laughs> on social media years ago. What's changed? The Overton windows moved. The Overton window has moved in such a way that people feel like it's okay now to talk about stuff. If you have tuned into broadcast today of churches, if you're a person of faith who watches church services, most of those church services today have one of a couple of things. You've got a panel that includes two or three black folks and a white male pastor. Um, you have a white male pastor who is preaching about race or you see a black face, not black face, hopefully. Dear God, I hope you don't see black face, but you see a black person standing on stage talking about race. Why all of a sudden? Why now? The Overton window has moved. We have seen the power of people We've seen the power of demonstration and what that can do. Now, I, I want to share with you what the Overton window has to do with some ancient uh, writings of, in Scripture. And also, as the title of this broadcast suggests or says, I, where I hope we don't go from here. So there will be a lot of conversation about where we go from here. People will have ideas. People will have stories to tell. People will have testimonies. People will, will project where we go from here. I'm going to take the position of talking to you about where I hope we don't go from here. Uh, if you've ever heard me speak about this before, if you've been a part of any of these lives, I have talked a lot about the Exodus story. Uh, if you want to see an in-depth look at how the Exodus story plays into America's conversation about race, my, my good friend Andre Henry actually has a series from years ago uh, I think it's called God of the Ghetto, that he wrote a blog series about the Exodus story and uh, America's relationship with race. I am going to, from my own thoughts and ideas, share some um, things that I see in the Exodus story that seem very similar to America. Some of the things will be obvious to you. Maybe some won't be. Uh, but we'll start first with Exodus chapter one. In Exodus chapter one, there's this story um, that begins with some of the most ominous words in all of the Bible, it is there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. There was a Pharaoh who did not know that Joseph came to Egypt and settled there and that they had a good relationship with between the Egyptians and the Jewish people. And 
this Pharaoh was intimidated by the Jews, was afraid of them. And so he decided to enslave them. So he, he decided, he, he literally said to whoever he was talking to that, that he was afraid that they would side with their enemies and that they would, they would grow too powerful. And so he needed to keep them from getting powerful. So he made them slaves and, and oppressed them heavily. But what we find happen in this story, as, I was, as we always find happening, is that despite Pharaoh's best efforts to oppress and stamp out this people, we find a divine energy that shows up in this group of people and they wind up multiplying. Like what, what Pharaoh thought would like crush them wound up being wound up causing them to grow all the more. There's something in the divine nature of God that causes God to side with those who are oppressed. And you've probably heard some language and some conversation from people and you probably some of you maybe even have agreed with it and enjoyed it and thought it was great. Some middle ground talk when it comes to race and racism in America. Let me be very clear when I say this. There is no such thing. If you are if you are a Christian, person of faith, a person of moral character, and you think that there's a middle ground between oppressed and oppressors, you have not been paying attention to the divine at all. That has never been the way the divine operates. So what we find happening in this story, in the Egyptians, uh, the story of the Egyptians and, and, and the Jewish people and their oppression, you find this animation. And here's a similarity that I, that I find in America. Um, well, there are things that white folks used during chattel slavery and segregation to dehumanize black folks that black folks have turned around and used as camaraderie and have used to strengthen the bonds between themselves. One of those things, and I'm not here to argue with you or debate about this, one of those things is the N-word, actually, is the fact that the N-word was used to dehumanize, to strip black men and women of their dignity. And somehow through the years, whether you agree or don't agree, black folks have found a way of using that word as camaraderie, as a strengthening of their bond and brotherhood towards one another. That's an example of something that oppressors mean to harm and hurt and crush, that the oppressed use with the, with the divine spirit and energy of God use to become even stronger. And so once in the, the, this going back to the, the story of the Egyptians, and the Jewish people. Once Pharaoh started to see that his plan of oppression was not stamping the people out, he moved to murder and genocide. The story goes on that, that Pharaoh tried, Pharaoh took all of the firstborn males and ordered that they be thrown into the Nile. This is America. In America, we see the, the, the violence towards black sons. We just saw the violence towards um, Ahmaud Arbery a couple of weeks ago, who was a black son. We've seen the violence towards Tamir Rice, Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile. Most recently, the violence towards George Floyd. But there's a violence towards black bodies and black people, black men in particular, that is even more sinister, that's not just the killing of the body, but it's trying to drown out even the memory of the person, which is why I was so vehement on my uh, live yesterday talking about her we don't speak of, because she 
has participated in the oppressor's work of drowning out the memory of a slain black man. We saw this happen with Amber Geyer and, and um, Botham John in Dallas. For those of you who don't remember that story, Botham John was minding his own business in his home. Botham John was a worship leader and a devout uh, member of his church. He was sitting down with a bowl of ice cream in his underwear in his house, his apartment. And Amber Geyer, I don't remember if, I, I, I shouldn't say I don't remember. I don't know because I haven't heard how it is that she entered his home, but she did. She entered his home. She said she thought it was hers. She shot and killed this man. Even if we want to concede that this was a really, really tragic accident, what happened next is what oppressors tend to do to those that they are oppressing. The police investigated his home, got a warrant to search his home that he was in, minding his own business, to see if he had drugs in the house. So we, this is this is a part of the story. This this is this is another parallel that we have to the the way the Egyptians treated the Jews. The the the, the Egyptians were an anti-Jewish society. America has been an anti-black society. And here's where I will answer a question that I was asked on my live yesterday by someone who says, if America is so anti-black, how do we ever have a black president? We've had a black president in spite of anti-blackness in the same way that the Jewish people had a Jewish savior show up for them in this, in this Exodus story, despite the anti-Jewish nature of Pharaoh. Because what we see in this story is that Moses is born a Jewish male. And rather than his mother and sister drowning him or, or allowing him to be drowned in the Red Sea, um, there's the, the, mid, the Egyptian, actually two Egyptian midwives, allies to the Jewish people decided we're not gonna drown this boy. They put him in this basket, floated him down the Nile River and just hoped that the divine energy of God would carry this boy through and keep him safe. And he was picked up by an Egyptian woman. So for, for a person to say that Barack Obama is evidence that America is not anti-Black would have to then also say that Moses is evidence that Egypt wasn't anti-Jewish. We all know how stupid that is. That's another parallel that we have in, 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 our, in our situation is that God, the divine the divine energy and divine spirit of God brings leaders from amongst oppressed people to use those people to set them free. I'm not going to go through all of Moses' childhood, other things that happened. Moses leaves, has the burning bush experience, comes back, and he goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. We have seen this in American history. We've seen black faith leaders um, sitting down with the oppressor to say, this oppression that is happening towards the black community is too much to presidents, to pastors, to local politicians, to police chiefs, to governors have gone to them and said, you need to do something. You need to help. One example is Dr. King after the Third, uh, Third Street Baptist Church bombing in which four young black women were killed, black girls were killed at Sunday school in that, in that bombing of that church. Dr. King, after doing their funeral, went to JFK and he said, Alabama needs the federal 
reserve, needs help, needs needs the federal government to get involved and send in um, police help. JFK refused. And then from that moment forward, not only did JFK refuse to send help to Alabama, where there had been 12 more cases of, 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 of racialized violence and bombings that were unsolved, um, Bobby Kennedy, from that moment forward, started wiretapping Dr. King's home and church offices. So what we've seen in America, what we see in the story of the Egyptian liberation, we see a um, so the Jewish liberation from Egyptian oppression. We see um, that there are leaders who emerge who go to the oppressor, the, the chief of the oppressors, and say, let our people go. And what we have seen time and time again in America, which we also see in this story, is that Pharaoh, the president, the governor, the pastor, the local, the mayor, the the you name it, the boss, the department head says no. We've seen time and time again throughout our history. We've seen over the last four years that there have been people attending predominantly white churches saying, hey, can we talk about race? Hey, can we talk about race? Hey, can we talk about race? Hey, people are dying. Can we talk about race? Hey, uh, president, what are you going to do about this? Hey, governor. And each time what we've heard, it hasn't been a blatant no, but a passive aggressive no. So then there's demonstrations. The divine energy of God sends demonstrations to vex the Egyptian people. After each one of these demonstrations, Pharaoh continues to say no until the last one is so pervasive, so emotionally taxing, such a great, powerful demonstration of the divine energy to liberate the oppressed that the Overton window of the Egyptian people moves from no, we're not letting the people go to please, would you leave? And so much so that the Egyptian people start to give gifts to the Jewish people so that they can leave. The story goes on to say that the Jewish people went and asked their Egyptian neighbors for gold and silver and whatever else so that they could leave and go start their own society. And the, the Egyptian people were so over the demonstration, so moved by them, so so tired of being vexed, so tired of what they'd seen, so tired of seeing the divine energy move in and, and put the pressure on them that they said, okay, we're going to let the people go. The, the, there was a divine energy that moved the Overton window from no, I won't let you go to yes, I'm going to let you go. Please leave. And there, here's where I get to where I hope we don't go from here. Because we've seen over the last several weeks, I've seen the hashtag of, of, of white women who have muted themselves and are amplifying black voices. We've seen the social media accounts of black thought leaders who's, who have gone from a mediocre amount of influence to this tremendous influence overnight. Patreon support is up for black thought leaders. People sending gifts and prayers and cards and everything else is up for black thought leaders and black people. 
again, the Overton windows move to where it's okay for churches all over. Right now, as I'm talking to you live, there are some pre-recorded messages of pastors and teachers who have talked about race for this weekend in that Overton window where it's okay to say Black Lives Matter. Where I hope we don't go from here is to the next thing that happens. After the Jewish people leave, Pharaoh realizes what he's done and decides to pursue them. This is what I told a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. I said, he said, he said, how do you feel? He said, do you feel like, do you feel hopeful? He's like, man, what's going on? Everybody's talking about it. There's this person says something about it. And this person says something. And, and Joel Osteen was at a, a Black Lives Matter march. And, and this pastor was at a Black Lives Matter march. And the governor of this state and blah, 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 blah. And all these things like, what, like are you hopeful? And, and to be honest with all of you, I am a pretty hopeful person. I like to be positive, but I actually had to answer, no, I don't think so. Because I feel like I've seen this story before. I feel like Pharaoh always chases down the people he has oppressed. The oppressor always pursues us, even after all of the demonstrations. So what I hope doesn't happen is what Pharaoh did. He decided that he was better at oppressing than at learning how to live in an egalitarian way without hierarchy. So he pursued the Jewish people to the Red Sea, chased them to the brink of extinction. I hope that all of the pastors, all of the leaders, all of the parents, all of the school teachers, the school boards, the principals, the, the department heads, the CEOs of large corporations, I hope that every one of you is listening. And I hope that every one of you does not return back to a place where you can no longer imagine a way of being that does not include the discrimination, the exploitation of black people. That once you are done talking about race and repenting for not talking about race in the past and um, crying and bringing black folks up on stage in a, in a panel and whatever other demonstrations you have planned, when it comes time to address your own implicit bias after your emotions have settled down and after the Overton window has settled over another issue and it is no longer profitable, it is no longer beneficial for you, it no longer gets you votes, it no longer gets you reelected, it no longer gets you any benefit at all, I pray that you don't like Pharaoh go pursue all of those gifts that you gave black folks and try to get them back. I hope that there are not strings attached to the gifts that you've given black folks over the last several years, the monetary gifts, the gifts of your thoughts and prayers, the gifts of you giving them opportunities to speak and to share, the, the gift of listening and, and being empathetic. I hope that once the Overton window moves that you don't pursue us to oppress us again, that you don't find this new courage to undo everything that you've done over the last couple of weeks. And for us as black and brown folks and allies, what I hope doesn't happen to us is what happened to the, the Jewish people as they got out into the wilderness after, after the, the Egyptians were buried in the Red Sea and they get out into the wilderness and they realize that for them also it's hard. A new way, imagining a new way of being and living is hard. 
it's not easy. And so they start to complain and say, it was easier for us back then in Egypt. I pray that every person of color who has emailed their pastor, who maybe emailed your former pastor, maybe you emailed or called um, your local government. Maybe a lot of people are making calls and emails to Minnesota local officials to say, do the right thing. I pray that you don't just stop there at like, I said something once, I posted something, I made a call, I sent an email, I had a conversation. I pray that we continue to hold our leaders' feet to the fire because there is some people power that keeps the Overton window where it needs to be. People power can move that window for a politician as we've seen it happen. We've seen these demonstrations that I believe wholeheartedly have been inspired by the divine energy and animation of God. I believe that's what's been happening. We've seen that people power has moved that window to the point that organizations have gone, we have to say something about this. My prayer, my hope, my urgent plea with you is that you don't let up now because it gets too hard, that you don't let up when you start seeing evidence that people who had energy to, to tolerate these conversations, people who were listening, move on and like, man, I'm tired of it now. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of listening to black folks. I'm tired of listening to brown folks. We need to move on to another series. We need to move on to another political issue. I, I just hope that we, as black and brown folks and our allies, remain here saying until these things happen, until you are ready to address the systemic issues. Dr. James Cone in his book, um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, says something really powerful. It says it on the heels of, of another statement about power that's amazing. But he says that without power, there can be no justice. And two or three token black folks is not power. I hope we don't go from here to a place where white folks have been celebrated and felt a validation because they finally said something, but we don't hold them accountable to actually do something. Let's look around at, the, at leadership all over. Let's look at the school boards. Let's look at the administrations of schools. Let's look at the staffs of churches and other faith organizations and nonprofits. And let's look at the boards behind those things and ask ourselves, um, who's in charge? Because if there's going to be justice for Black folks, that means that Black folks have to be empowered, have to have positions of authority and power to be able to sit at powerful tables and make powerful decisions if there's going to be justice. And if moving forward, after your series is over, after your campaign is over, after you've read um, your one book and watch the 13th, if after that you've not made some personal changes to address your own implicit bias and make some physical changes to what surrounds you, you will wind up pursuing the oppressed. You will wind up angry and bitter and frustrated at the Black folks who you were allied with before, because that implicit bias will show up. 
you will start to you, you'll start to see that, oh, I'm tired of hearing from black folks all the time. I'm tired of seeing these people who were once in, in, in the back. I'm tired of seeing the people who were in the backseat. They're now driving and I have to take my hands off the wheel. I, I don't I don't like that. I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm fine listening to their advice from the back seat, but I'm not I'm not ready to give them the wheel. And we as black folks and our allies need to start saying to every organization, everything that we're a part of, that if you cannot give us the wheel, we will no longer ride in the car. If we can't drive, if you, if you are not ready to allow us to drive because you have been driving us to a place that only benefits white folks, if we can't have the wheel to drive, let us out. That's what you need to say to your pastor your mayor, your governor, anybody who's offered platitudes, say you don't get to use, you don't get to use platitudes, you don't get to use Black Lives Matter if you're not gonna let us drive. I'm not voting for you just because you said Black Lives Matter. Who, who, who are you letting drive? I'm not putting time and effort into your offering and into your church and building this empire of a church if, if you ain't letting no black folks drive. And I'm not talking about speak or lead worship, drive. That is our only way forward. And I pray and hope that we don't go to a place where the Overton window moves, white folks no longer feel obligated to talk about issues that affect black people, and everybody just goes back to accepting a normal, a normal way of being that is anti-black. And we just shrug our shoulders and go, eh, nothing we can do about it. Those of you just joining late, my name is Corey Leak. I appreciate you being a part of this. Um, this is Existential Sunday. Those of you just joining here live at the end of this, uh, I am a husband and father, teacher, speaker, singer, writer, uh, and you can join our Patreon community. Let me make sure that I let you know. You can uh, click on the link in the comments. I believe they should be in the comments now uh, where you can join our Patreon community and you can be a part of this work. You can join with your resources. You can join with your uh, ideas. That is where I have conversations with allies and Black folks who are trying to move us forward. I appreciate all of you being part of this. If we're not friends uh, on Facebook, actually, I've just reached the 5,000 mark on my Facebook. So um, you can actually join my public page, which is Corey Evan Leak. You can follow there and, and stay connected to, uh, to us and the work that we're doing. So appreciate all of you. Grace and peace. Thank you.